Good afternoon. This is Jeff Smelser. This is Bible Quest. I think we are streaming live on Facebook. We've had some te technical difficulties today, so we're a little late getting started. And uh, as soon as Chase Byers and Drew DeGrado come on and join me and confirm that we are live, then I'll know we're good to go. Are we good to go, guys? Hey, Drew. Drew DeGrado in, in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Drew, are we streaming live now on Facebook? Yes, uh, we are. We're streaming live on Facebook. Okay. And Chase Byers should be coming in here any second. Now, Chase is actually the one who finally got it to work. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, just got it up and running. So I posted it to your timeline so people should be able to watch it. All right, great. All right, well, folks, sorry for the delay. Don't know why that happens every now and then, um, but it did. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Ephesus, uh, Acts 19, and a tour of Ephesus. Uh, Libby and I recently made a trip over there and uh, really enjoyed seeing the sights seeing the ruins of the ancient city of Ephesus. It was, it was an eye-opener. But let's go to the book of Acts, and let's go to the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. And guys, if we could start out in uh, verse 18 of Acts, the 18th chapter. And um, I guess let me throw up one map on screen real quickly here. Uh, as we get started, let's see. Let's put... Uh, let's put this map on screen. It looks like I've got a lot of stuff cluttered up here, and I do. Uh, but Corinth would be right over here. And that's where Paul is leaving in Acts the 18th chapter and verse 18. And he's going to come across to Ephesus. Let's zoom in here and see Ephesus. So Ephesus is right here. These are the seven churches of Asia that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Um, and so notice Smyrna, notice that right there, and Ephesus. Uh, Colossae, for what it's worth, just to relate some things, Colossae would have been right down here. And here's the seven churches in order, as mentioned in Revelation 1, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. All right. So let's, and, and of course, Corinth is over here, right here. Yeah, and Jerusalem. Where would Jerusalem be, Jeff? Oh, oh well, okay. Let's go back and show where Jerusalem would be. You can't really see Jerusalem. But if you were to go way down here and keep going way down that way, Jerusalem would be way down there. Okay. Uh, in the first map, can I go, go back here? Yeah, okay. So Jerusalem would be down right here, right here. Yeah, because right. there's a Dead Sea down there, too. Mm -hmm. the Dead Sea. Rome would be over here. All right, so with that, let's go to Acts, the 18th chapter, and begin reading in verse 18. Um, what do you guys want to read, 18 through 21? Yeah, I got, I got that, and uh, apparently he is still in Antioch at this point, I believe. Uh, no, he's actually in Corinth. Oh, he's in Corinth at this time, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right, so he's going to end up going to Corinth. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Caesarea, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, uh, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem but I will return again to you, God willing, and he sailed from Ephesus. Okay, so he was in Corinth right here, and Sencrea is the port city over here on the Aegean coast, and so he goes to Sencrea, gets his head shaved, and Aquila and Priscilla travel with him. He's headed for Syria. Syria is over here, 
but he's going to stop in Ephesus, which is right here, and he's going to leave Aquila and Priscilla there, and then he sails on to uh, then he sails on to Caesarea, which is down here on the coast of the Mediterranean, on the eastern coast, and um, that's in verse 22. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and saluted the church, which I take to be the church at Jerusalem here. And then he went down to Antioch, which is up here, Antioch of Syria. And having spent some time there, he departed and went through the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order establishing all the disciples. Well, Galatia is this area up here and Phrygia up in here. So he's up in that area. And then, then Luke takes the narrative back to Ephesus and tells us what's going on here in Ephesus, while Paul is up in Galatia and Phrygia. So let's come to verse 24 and read through verse 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Let's, let's actually pause right there. It says he's he's only acquainted with the baptism of John. John was baptizing where? In the Jordan River. In the Jordan River and at Anan near to Salem, but all regions down in the area of Jerusalem, kind of in those environs. That's a long way from here in Ephesus. And moreover, John had, had, had been beheaded um, like before, G- before Jesus was crucified, he was beheaded near the beginning of Jesus' yes. ministry, so, right? How, yes. So how long after Jesus are we talking right now? At this, So uh, we are talking somewhere in uh, about the year, if, if we suppose Jesus died, say around AD 33, we're about 20 years after that. Paul okay. left, when Paul left Corinth, that was probably uh, the summer of, of 51, probably in the year 51. And he's had time to drop Aquila and Priscilla off at Ephesus, go to uh, back to Syria, back to Antioch, and start up through Galatia and Phrygia. And so we're we're past that now. And um, and so at least twenty years have passed. More than twenty years have passed since John was killed. And here's this man Apollos up here. He's a Jew. He's from Alexandria. Where's Alexandria? I mean, it's all the way down there in Egypt, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's in Egypt. Alexandria is down here. You know, people think that people in the first century didn't get around, but they got around. Uh, so, so here's this Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, up here in Ephesus, preaching the baptism of John, which was something that had been going on 20 years earlier down here. So uh, Aquila and Priscilla are going to explain things to him more accurately. Let's pick it up in verse 26. Go to the end of the chapter. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Let me interrupt you again. I'm sorry. So Aquila and Priscilla uh, are the ones who who explained to Apollos, baptizing in the name of Jesus. Um, Where had Aquila and Priscilla come from before they came to Ephesus? The Corinth? They had come from Corinth, sure. So just again, one more time to this little map uh, right here. So here's Corinth over here. In fact, we can uh, zoom in. Here's Corinth over here. And Aquila and Priscilla have ended up in Ephesus. They explain the way of God more accurately to Apollos here in Ephesus. And then verse 27 and 28 say, 
uh, he uh, and when he wanted to go across to Acacia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So, so Achaia is this part of Greece over here where Corinth is. So they're sending Apollos over there, and, and the brethren in Ephesus, which includes Aquila and Priscilla, write a letter commending Apollos to the folks in Corinth. Well, Aquila and Priscilla knew those folks. They had been there in Corinth when the church had begun in Corinth. And that brings us to Acts chapter 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, so now Apollos is over here, uh, Paul, having a screen, I don't think, Jeff. Say what? Are you seeing the screen, Jeff, Chase? Yeah, I'm seeing the screen. Huh. Okay, never mind. Ignore me. <laughs> All right. We'll get to you in a minute. We'll quit ignoring you. Uh, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus. So Paul arrives in Ephesus now. And it, the first thing he tells us is uh, that he found certain disciples. Mm-hmm. In verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we did not so much as hear whether the Holy Spirit was, or the American Standard goes ahead and adds the word was given. So if you baptize, or if you meet some people that you, you think are Christians, you assume they're Christians, and, and you're talking to them, and they, they're totally ignorant of the Holy Spirit, um, or unaware that the Holy Spirit has been given or has come, would that make you wonder if, if maybe they had missed out on something very fundamental? Yeah, I mean, the Holy Spirit is is very, very foundational to the Christian faith. I mean, it's it's a staple. Uh, so, and so you would suspect or you would expect somebody who claims to be a Christian to know something about the Holy Spirit. So Paul's next question is, well, what were you baptized into? Yeah. And they said into John's baptism. How would that have happened? People up in Ephesus getting baptized in the name of John. Well, Apollos was thinking that uh, that's what Apollos was had just been there, and he had been very effective. And I think that's why Luke tells us about Apollos's arrival in Ephesus in chapter eighteen. Remember, in verse twenty-three of chapter eighteen, Luke started telling us about this journey of Paul. It begins in eighteen twenty-three, and before he finishes telling us about this journey of Paul, he takes us over to Ephesus, tells us what's going on there. And what's going on is Apollos is over there teaching, and he only knows the baptism of John. And and that's going to provide the background for understanding why it is that Paul later runs into some people in Ephesus, apparently influenced, whether directly or indirectly, by Apollos, uh, who've only been baptized in the name of John. So he, mm-hmm. he tells them that they need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They are. He lays hands on them, gives them the gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they, they speak in tongues and prophesy. So this is the beginning of Paul's, he was in Ephesus briefly when he left Aquila and Priscilla there, but now he's going to spend some considerable time here. So let's go to verse 8, and let's get verse 8 and 9 in Acts chapter 19. Okay, uh, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And, so, and that's yeah, where you want to stop? Yeah. 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 It's interesting here that um, when, the, when, the, when the gospel is begun here, you had Aquila and Priscilla, who were Jews, 
you have these disciples who'd been baptized, apparently at the influence of Apollos in John's baptism, and now they've been baptized in the name of Jesus. That would suggest that they are Jews. And then in verse 8, um, they're meeting in the synagogue. Paul goes into the synagogue. That was his typical custom to go where Jews could be found on the Sabbath day. But he doesn't just stay there two or three weeks. He's there for three months. And then he separates from the synagogue only when, verse 9, some were hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude. Sure. So it sounds like that the followers of the way, Jesus is the way, the followers of Jesus Christ have been meeting in the synagogue up until this point. It doesn't sound like they've been meeting in the synagogue as just a rental facility, just, well, this is a building where we can rent some space. These are Jews who've become Christians and they continue meeting in the synagogue until the Jews who are not believers aren't going to put up with them anymore. So, Jeff, mm -hmm. did I hear you say a little while ago that you're estimating this could be 20 years after the resurrection? More than 20 years after the resurrection, yeah, because Paul was in Corinth at the end of Acts chapter 18, and that was about the year 51. And now we're, we're somewhat past that. Okay, so and the reason Jesus, I bring that up, then, it sounds like that the, the, the primary recipients of the gospel are Jews by birth, that the, the Gentiles, have Gentiles been accepting it at that time, or is it primarily Jews up during this time? Well, Gentiles have certainly been accepting the gospel and becoming Christians since Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and his household were baptized. And, and in Thessalonica in chapter 17, it was primarily Gentiles who were becoming Christians. But here in, in Ephesus, it seems it, it, it begins um, primarily among the Jews who are the first Christians. And I said more than 20 years. It was more than 20 years since John had been beheaded. We may be right somewhere around 20 years at this point since the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, I, I bring that up because I don't know how far, I guess you're going to get into the riot and all of that. Or you're not yeah, well, we're trying to get to the riot. Yeah. All right, then I will not stop you because I'll bring my question up later. Okay, so um, what happens then, um, verse 10 it says this continued for the space of two years. Apparently Paul in the school of Tyrannus there for two years. And it says, so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So now as the gospel spreads throughout Asia, it's not just Jews, it's Jews and Greeks. So we need to go back to this map right here. When we say Asia, anytime the Bible in the New Testament, anytime you read the word Asia, it's, it's this Western part of the, Anatolian Peninsula, the western part of modern-day Turkey. So these are the seven churches of Asia, and not so the, the only mean, churches. You don't mean Beijing. Don't mean Beijing. Don't mean India. Don't mean Kazakhstan. Don't mean any of that. Just this western end of modern-day Turkey. That's what the Bible is referring to. as a province called Asia there. And so God, uh, Paul is in Ephesus, but, and, and especially the gospel is effective among Jews at the beginning here in Ephesus, but all Asia hears the word and Jews and Greeks are converted. And uh, then chapter 19, verse 11 talks about the miracles that Paul was doing. And of course, why did the apostles do miracles? Confirm that the word was from the Lord. Yeah. And it's interesting that verse 12 says, in so much unto the, that unto the sick were carried away from his body handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, the evil spirits went out. You know, you have these televangelists today 
who will sell you some kind of holy oil or a, or a blessed prayer napkin or something like that. You send in some money and they'll send you that and you'll hope you'll get a miracle. Um, and, and because of that, it's easy to think this sounds kind of like a charlatan here taking handkerchiefs from Paul. But if the purpose of miracles was to vouch for Paul as messenger from God, that his word was by revelation, then what good does it do to heal people if there's no connection to Paul? If they just get better and, and there's no connection to Paul, that doesn't vouch for him, does it? All right. So, but if he could send a handkerchief and say, this is from me, and then they take that handkerchief and they're healed, then they could make the connection. Oh, okay, so Paul must be a messenger from God. It doesn't say they were bought. It says they were brought. No, it doesn't say they were bought. <laughs> yeah, good. That's a good point. All right, verse 13. Um, so there's some strolling Jews. This translation says, what do you say in verse 13? Certain of the strolling Jews. Might itinerant, say. itinerant. Itinerant. Jewish exorcists. Well, mine says itinerant, itinerant Jewish exorcists. Yeah, they would go about, and I don't understand the idea here. Some Somehow it's the description of people who go from place to place professing to cast out unclean spirits or demons. And they were going to do this in Paul's name. Actually, they said in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, but these aren't Christians. And uh, so what happens to these? There's seven of them, seven, seven sons of Sceva going around doing this. And what happens to them? Well, this backfires on them this time. Yeah. Verse uh, 15. He says, uh, uh, evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? <laughs> then so, the man, do you want me to continue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on, uh, a leap was, I'm sorry, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this is, became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Yeah. And so then uh, the result was people started realizing, wow, this gospel is powerful. God, the God of Paul is, is powerful. Uh, that demon was pretty powerful, and Paul can cast out demons. So they started selling their sorcery books, their magic books, not selling them. They could have sold them, got a lot of money for them, but mm -hmm. instead they burned them. And that's impressive. All right. Well, let's skip down to verse 23. About that time, there arose no small stir concerning the way. What, is, what does the word way mean here? Way of Christ? Yeah. Throughout the book of Acts, Luke uses the word way to refer to Christianity, the followers of Jesus. And it says, a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no little business under the craftsmen. And there was a temple in ancient Ephesus, the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana, um, two different names for the same pagan deity. And it was uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and people would come from all over to see it. And this guy made his living making little miniatures. Um, people come to Philadelphia and they might get a miniature Liberty Bell. Well, they go to Ephesus and they get a little shrine of Diana. And uh, so he made a living that way. And he gathered together the workmen of like occupation. Well, let's, uh, I guess, yeah, verse 25. He gathered together the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this business we have our wealth. 
And you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people saying that they are no gods that are made with hands. What does he mean by all Asia? That Western part of modern day Turkey. What has Paul done? He says, Paul's caused people to quit believing in gods made with hands. How does he make his living? By people believing in gods made with hands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and selling God. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so he says in verse 27, go ahead, read verse 27. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her ma uh, magnificence. So um, when they heard this, verse 28, they were all filled with wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater. Having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. And when Paul was minded to enter in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. Certain also of the Asiarchs, being his friends, sent unto him and besought him not to adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And, and then, of course, there's a, a town official who comes and calms everything down. Um, so this mention of the theater here, uh, let's take a look at, at some pictures. These are just pictures I took with my little cell phone. But, um, uh, oops, that's not what I want. Let's see here. Share the right thing, Jeff. Um, oh, there it is right there. Okay. All right. So there's Ephesus on a map. And um, let's zoom in here. Uh, Libby and I were in Izmir, spent the night in Izmir on a Sunday night. Anybody know what Izmir was in ancient times? I have no clue. Mm -mm. Smyrna. Really? Smyrna. Mm-hmm. So there's Ephesus. So we rented a car and drove down here, and that stop right there, that, that plot there marks where I took a photograph. Took a bunch, but this is this the one here. There were olive trees all over the place. So there was a convenient place where we could pull off the road and take a picture of some olive trees, and you see the olives growing on the trees there. I just like that. I like olives anyway. They look very similar to the olive trees in Rome. I was in Rome for two weeks last week. Yeah. And it's amazing. There was less olives on the tree then because they just finished the harvest. Is that right? Yeah. just huh. And I got a fresh can of olive from the, the house we were staying at, the owner. He did his own harvesting and whatnot. But I find that interesting. It looks the same. It's the same plant. And wherever we were, breakfast always had olives and not just olives, multiple kinds of olives. Do well, you like we, olives? I do. Okay, good thing you like olives. I'd be, I'd have a hard time. Dro drove from there on down to Ephesus. And so watch this circle where I've got Ephesus circled here. And then we will switch to a Google satellite view. And there you see a hill in the, in the middle of that circle. And around that circle on the western side and the southern side are some roads that are the primary roads in ancient Ephesus. These are the ruins of ancient Ephesus. There are roads, our three roads. And then this one extends here to the right a little bit. So this theater that we're reading about in Acts 19 is right there. This is, again, from Google uh, Satellite View. And then uh, there's another little theater called an Odeon over here that maybe we'll have a chance to talk about. But uh, this street is called Harbor Street. 
And in biblical times, there was a harbor. The Aegean came right up to the end of Harbor Street here. Uh, in the Keister River has silted up that harbor so that now it's all filled in, but you can see it's kind of marshy in there. Um, and then this is Marble Road, and this is, I don't know how they say that now, Curatus Road, but Curatus or Curatus is more or less how it would have been pronounced in ancient times. Um, so let's rotate this around. And there's our Harbor Street. And uh, looking across the theater at it, there it is. And you can see the various remains of, of shops on the left and right and columns and statuary. And if we move this like this, uh, then you'll see a photograph from the top of the theater looking out across Harbor Street. And out here would have been the Aegean. Hmm. This theater... Wow. Wow, you could have seen ships coming in from you, up there. You could have seen ships coming in, would have seen ships coming in. Oh, that's really cool. And this, this theater would seat 24,000 people. Wow. Really? 24,000 people. And there, we're down on the floor of the performance area there. You can see the staging area in the back. Um, so what imagine... What entertainment did they have then? I, well, this... I don't know what all went on in this theater. I know that in the smaller theater, which is called an Odeon instead of a, a theater, they had singing, uh, musical performances. I assume in this theater, they would have had plays and, and those kinds of things. Um, they all, the, in the smaller theater, they would also use it for a meeting place of the, the city council, you could say. Um, I don't know what all they did in this theater. Uh, but they would have had plays, performances, an orchestra, that kind of thing. What I would say orchestra, not necessarily like we think of an orchestra. But and here's a side view of the theater. So then stepping back out, one of the things that impressed me in being there was it's not that different from our lives today. Here's a street that is Marble Street. So we're going to look down Marble Street. So look again. Here's the, here's the theater. This is Harbor Street. And this is Marble Street. So look down Harbor Street. You can go down this paved road. And uh, there's my lovely wife, Libby. And there she is again. And this arch here, we're going to see in the next slide. If you looked out over the wall to the right here, you'd be looking out over the market area. And all of these I, is the best as I know, would have been shops along here, maybe shops along here and over here. What's stacked up in here are just um, uh, organized stacks of remnants of, of the ruins. You know, they'll have a whole row of, of pieces that are similar to one another, and they'll try to figure out where they go. But this all would have been a big market area. And so here is the, the um, theater here, Harbor Street. This is our market area, and then Marble Road along here, and then another road we'll see that way. So there's Harbor Street Theater, Marble Road, and then this Curatus, or Curatus, however you say it. This is a library over here. It's built in AD 117. So that would have been 20 years after the writing of the Book of Revelation. Why is that relevant to Ephesus? Um, this is the facade of that library because Ephesus is mentioned in the book of Revelation. And by the time we get to the book of Revelation, the Lord is saying that the church at Ephesus has left its first love and they need to repent. And um, 
it's about 20 years after that time, 20 or so years, this library was built. And this is just the front facade, uh, although you can go in behind this facade and you can stand in the room there, but it's not enclosed anymore. Um, the statues here in the windows here, or not the windows, but in these, I don't know what you call these, these insets, um, right there and there and there and there. That one says the wisdom of Celsus, and that one says the virtue of Celsus, and that one says the insight of Philip. I don't know why all of a sudden we changed Philip, and then we get back to the knowledge of Celsus. These are all original to 137. 117 is or when this library was sorry. built. Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know about the statuary. I assume that it was built at that time. But there's a man who does these uh, virtual reconstructions, and he's drawn this to show what it would have looked like when it was in good repair and full color. Wow. So here's our overhead view. And again, we're going to look at this area. This would be that facade of the Celsus Library right there. And then we have smaller streets. So you've got the Marble Road and the Curetes Road. And then you've got these smaller streets. And there's one of them uh, looking across, and there's the Curetes Road. And then um, here's another one of them. And it reminded me, I read this passage in Luke chapter 14, verse 21, where in the parable it says, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. We read through that, just streets and lanes, and we don't think anything about it. But the words there are plateus and crumus. And the plateus are the wide main thoroughfares, and the rumus are the narrow alleys and small little side streets. And that's what you have here. You have the main thoroughfares and the little side streets. It's just interesting to me. We're getting this neighborhood here, and we're going to look across at the library. So here we are in this neighborhood, and then we're just going to walk through rooms in this neighborhood of houses like this. Houses in Ephesus. And the piles of ruins. And this is the public latrine, the public toilets. Wow. Yeah. Not current. Not current. Now, here's something, though, that is more current. Um, you see this hole right here in the ground? Yeah. You see this hole right here? Uh -huh. Yep. All right. So here they are there. And then you see this thing here. And here, looks like a pipe. That's right. They had they had underground running water and sewers. They Whoa. had these are these are little these are clay pipes, and you'd have sections. I don't know. They had them stacked up where they had stacked a whole bunch of them up. But they have a male and female end so that they could stick them one in the other and make this long section of pipe, bury it, and they could have water running through there. And I suspect I think this was the sewer um but anyway it just it was so impressive to me to see the water systems so they had hot and cold running water in some of the nicer houses huh. uh, so here's this curetes curetes street and uh you can see there's structures and columns and statuary all along it i'm gonna and here is that same street here's kind of some sort of a porch or balcony or not balcony but patio along the front of what would have been houses over here on the right. And um, look at that artwork. Yeah. That's a, a little small little temple of Hadrian. 
This is looking back down this street to the to the library. Uh, now, this is we're going inside one of the nicer houses now. And again, the, the point that I want to get at is that um, it, it's not that different than today. So here is uh, a courtyard. This is a sketch of the hallway that we're going to be in. North is down and to the right here, and there are three rooms here. This room, this room, and this room. You'll see the bath here and the bath here and a bath there in this house. So here's, so now we're looking north. There's one of the baths on the right, this bath on the left. This is called the, the Marble Hall, and this is an artist rendition, but right there is what we actually saw. Wow. And you see these tables with these pieces all over them? Yeah. We'll see that again in a minute. So right here is, is uh, what we actually saw is this water I don't, fountain or something there. I don't understand exactly what it was. This is the, the floor. The, they had beautiful floors. And so now we're going to put that down there like that. And there you see the corner of that floor. And this is these tables are where they're collecting all these marble pieces and putting together like a jigsaw puzzle. To, to put them back together on the walls like they were wherever they go. And so here's this artist rendition. And then here is a photo of what is actually there as you look at this side of that room now. This is amazing. Well, it, it, it really is. It, um, they don't have any idea whose house that was. Uh, yes, actually. Uh, I think in some case they have some names. I don't remember. Uh, this is the Curetes Road, and this whole thing here is called Terrace House Two, okay. and and Terrace House Two has it's it's not one residence, it's multiple residences. So you might think of it like a condo or something, and condo okay. building. And this shaded area is uh, a single dwelling unit, dwelling unit six, and so it talks about the the signage talks about dwelling unit six here, and. Um, Here's dwelling unit six just by itself. This is the marble room that we saw a minute ago. And here are those baths that we saw in it. You see, this is quite a house. And the next pictures we're going to see are this area here and here. And there's going to be a sunken floor here. So let's see if we can do that. Here's the vault, two vaulted rooms and the sunken floor. This was some fantastic house, wasn't it? It sure was. It's amazing. 1,800 years ago, and they had such sophistication. Yeah, and, and actually, some of this Terrace House, too, goes back to the first century. Hmm. So uh, now we're going to look at this residence here just real quickly. Um, Terrace House, too, uh, comprises the largest complex of mosaic floors from the Roman Imperial period in Western Turkey. Uh, most of the mosaics date from the beginning of the first century, that's New Testament times, to the first half of the third century. And specifically, we'll see a mosaic of Dionysus and Medusa and mosaic with lions. So here on this, we're looking at one of the rooms here. You know, we think of these stone houses and we think it's just rough stone walls. And they were, they were, they were brick, stone, mortar but then they would finish them over and plaster over them with smooth wall surfaces and paint them. And then the floors, there's the floor with the mosaic of the lion. Oh. Isn't that something? That is amazing. And then we look into this room here 
and you see the, the mosaic floors here. Well, I'm just going to click quickly because I want to make a point here. Um, this is when they were first uncovering it, a photograph of when they were unearthing this. Here's plumbing in the house, indoor plumbing in the corner of the wall there, and it's exposed. And then if you look down in the floor, you'll see plumbing down here, indoor hot and cold water. And they would use this also to heat their houses so that they would have heated houses. Um, that's probably enough to make the point I want to make. I'll just get a couple more photos here. Um, let's zip in and see that. All right. So let me, let me make the point that I want to make. We, we often hear people talk about the Bible as if it's, it's a relic of 2,000 years ago and things were so different back then, it's not relevant to anything we do today. Uh, now, we've not been talking about the moral teachings of the Bible here, but we've been looking at a city in Ephesus, and you, you almost realize the glassware that we saw. It was amazing. I think of people back then as, as drinking out of ceramic vessels, you know, pottery, that kind of thing. But we saw the glassware from the first century. It was beautiful. It was colored, but it was translucent, transparent, nicely shaped and, and ornamented and engraved. And, and it just, it struck me how I could imagine myself living in that time. I wouldn't have Wi-Fi. I wouldn't be talking over, you know, a computer to, to people like this. But life was not all that different. And so maybe it helps us to realize when we're talking about the sins that people committed then, they're not all that different. They're really the same sins. And the solution to the problem of sin that they needed is the same solution that we need. It's, it's just, I think somehow it's easier to comprehend that we're no different today after kind of seeing that really their lives were not that different than ours. I'm totally impressed. I, I didn't realize it was like that either. Hmm. Well, we didn't get to, uh, we're, we're out of time, really. I was going to show you a video, but I'll have to show it another time of going through the little theater. Um, but uh, we'll do that another time. But anyway, I, thanks for I, listening today. Yeah, go ahead. I just make one last comment. It, it's interesting in verse 26 when they said that he is upsetting the world, Ephesus, right? Uh, yeah. And that, let's see, it says, uh, turn, saying that there are no gods which are made with hands. That's what Paul was saying, and he's upsetting the world. Mm-hmm. But wasn't there other people who knew that these gods were no gods? The Jewish, yeah. the Jewish community didn't go out and make a ruckus. And that, well, actually, that's, their culture wasn't to go out and proselytize, I guess, or anybody. But now I can understand why the Christians were not tolerated a religious group compared to the Jews, another religious group that was tolerated. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. The Jews apparently had gotten along. Well, there's an interesting thing going back to going back to a time about 50 or 60 years before Paul was in Ephesus. There actually was an attempt to deny certain citizenship rights or political rights to Jews in Ephesus. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a little bit of a clash, but it wasn't as, as, as prominent perhaps as some of the opposition that Paul got when he would go in and, and disrupt things by telling people there are no gods made with hands and ruining somebody's business. And uh, we're going to see that same antagonistic friction as we preach the yeah. truth about Jesus Christ. Oh, that's right. That's right.
All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope hope it was kind of interesting to people. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Take care. Thanks, guys.